We're heading home for the holidays with a heavy dose of stadium stories. That and crunching the numbers this week on the IndieWell Report podcast. Yeah, right. It is 250 episodes. That's how long this show's been going on for. And I think for maybe 50 of them, the show is recorded correctly because I'm just a functional mess. Hi, Ryan. Hi there. It's a good thing you I mean, you can record these. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be a problem. Um, of course, the day that I'm like, eh, I'm not going to really do legitimate audio because I'm in a weird setup today. <laughs> and like it's a, a setup where like actually really would have rewarded me doing legitimate audio so that's great <sighs> you know, that would imply this is a legitimate podcast which it is not but my podcast hasn't posted an episode since like september but and i'm currently editing one which is not feeling like something i've ever done before Despite Isn't it fun? Absolutely have. Good Lord. Why is there a learning curve every time? <laughs> because every hiatus I take, it's like, damn, you don't even know the alphabet anymore, bub. And you're like, all right. Because oh, life is God. a period of suffering with intermittent pauses, and that's why you keep fighting for the pauses, because everything else is just like being stuck in a lake at night. There really is a sort of connection between the impact that a Catholic school education has on your well-being and an interest in like indie ball and obscure baseball, I feel like. But that's another thing for another day. <laughs> Philly Catholic League. Shout out to the Catholic League, man. O'Hara sucks. How Leonard about, O'Hara, oh my God. Person? Cardinal O'Hara, they wish. They wish they could have had Will Smith go to their school for a semester before getting kicked out by the nuns. You wish you had it. We had a WNBA player and a couple of NFL guys. I mean, Archbishop Carroll had. We got we got people. It doesn't matter. We got Meredith from the office. How about it? Tell your friends. Yeah. Let's talk about the formerly known as Chowderheads and now known as Knockouts. We have a team president. Yes, they do. Yes, the New England Knockouts have hired Scott Profrock. I'm going to assume is how that's yep. pronounced. I did not do any research to actually look that up. I meant to. I didn't. In any case, Philly's yep. assistant GM for 13 years, also spent time in scouting, baseball ops, and similar roles with the Pirates, Braves, Orioles, and Tampa Bay Devil Rays. Because I'm calling them the Devil Rays because they use analytics, and that's the devil's work. But, you know, that's that. God. So thoughts well, on this? Um, You're the Phillies fan. You don't know uh, about this. It's more like it feels like a corporate hire. He's overseeing... Um, operations for new england windy city and then brockton which you know brockton different leagues same ballpark so it's not too bad but um i feel like we're, i don't know if we're seeing that more i guess we probably are because more is being done remote but like i remember chuck domino's team is doing like Bowie, frederick and a, and a couple other markets so i don't know maybe it's becoming more prevalent maybe it's just random but it's interesting to see um yeah he has hagerstown too right uh yes that's right thank you yeah. release yeah. maybe it isn't boo well i don't know it might be but that's neither here nor there um See, i always thought it was yeah. like Bowie was the name of a guy involved in the hagerstown thing is how i thought it was 
Like there's still he could still be involved in the team in Bowie, but you know. Yeah. Or am um, I just totally blanking on this? It, I don't know. It's possible. I, I'm I'm off. I had in my head that he was. Doesn't totally matter. I do feel like I might have met Scott in passing at one point, which is the random one I'm realizing now, but neither here nor there. Um got himself a ring though. Can't take that away. Um I suppose, yeah, that'd be tough too. But he um he was more on like the contract side of things, if I recall. Um and okay. like, just like logistical fine points, which hey could have been really helpful when they announced the childhood's name, maybe. But better late than never. Um I do wonder if like they're trying to bring in some new people because they don't seem to be running super well and the start has been rocky. So it's interesting to see. Um but yeah, if I remember, let me see if I can really dig deep in my my mind here. I'm almost certain Profrock was the guy that like would do a lot of the contract stuff. I want to say both between the league and the team, but also between like players and the team. Like I think he was doing a lot of their arbitration. Um, but he was there a long time, man. He was there for like 13, 14 years, I think. As he, at least in like the the role where people oh, were aware. It of. says thirteen years. Oh, I've written down I my notes. Phillies. I I know my obscure Phillies front office. <laughs> See, he's gonna say uh, because I know my obscure Phillies front office. People listening and go, didn't the other one introduce him by saying he spent thirteen years as the Phillies assistant GM? Oh, see, I didn't hear the thirteen years part. That's on me. Which um, brings us back to a pre-show discussion about both of us just kind of tuning out at points, but you know, yeah, full you circle. Because <laughs> I'm going to do it at some point. I don't know when, but it'll happen. But it is interesting. I don't know the last like what I would call a high up. MLB team executive who's really gotten hands on with an indie ball team. I'm probably missing the obvious somewhere, but like at least in the time that I've been covering, it really hasn't happened much. Like a guy from like the GM level, that's kind of interesting to see. Okay, yeah, because I was gonna say a or bunch of them have like former managers and stuff like you have going on in Oakland, but yeah, but I'm I'm talking, you know, yeah. again at the GM level, it's interesting to see. Um, just putting somebody with years of like MLB contract experience into like dealing with like indie ball contracts does make me laugh a little bit. But I don't even know if that's what I'll be doing, honestly. Um, I don't know. It, I guess it's fine. I don't have a ton of passion feelings on it. I'm not sure okay. how much it's really going to affect the product on field or off. But yeah, interesting. Emmy's a legit hire. Uh, I can see it right now. He's going to be negotiating that Santiago Chirino contract, one year standard pay, veteran spot player coach. Master for the deal that I was joking about after yeah. the show, hey, signing of the uh, yeah, you also get the furnished apartment, but it's furnished over the next 80 seasons, one piece of furniture at a time. You get your choice end table or coffee table. <laughs> this gives me like Andy Shea and Lexington vibes. Sorry to throw the aggressive shade there, but uh, your shade has to be obscured, then put your hand in front of your face. Um. Anyway, he's dropping balls. Neither here now. nor there. Neither here nor there. Uh, I will say, uh, yeah, good signing. I like that. It seems that they're willing to at least invest in the team. That's a good thing because that would be if they're already, you know, going with the cheap hires. I'd be a little worried. Yeah, I, I'll say this much. I am happy to see they're going with the brand name. It is kind of odd you go MLB on it. I feel like they almost went. Well, it's MLB. He's got to be pretty good, and he wants to do it. So why not? When I'm not necessarily sure if that's a one for one here on this level. That's a little bit of a, a thing, but I will say I think obviously on a major league level you're handling a lot more 
there's a lot more stuff going on and it's higher numbers, it's bigger figures and whatnot. And the fact he's doing multiple teams probably is a positive thing that somebody that has experience handling more things flying at him at once as opposed to uh, a guy that's only ever had to run, like, say, one team or, like, a couple summer league teams where realistically, yeah, there's stuff you have to do. It's still not easy, per se, but it's also a totally different world when you're handling, you know, like we said last week, a baseball team in the league that has international play where there's a lot more going on. So you have to factor in all of that. Um, so that's part of it there. I will say I am curious to see how it all winds up playing out in the sense of it seems like you have a little bit of redundant leadership at the top here. If we're not going to remove some of the Brockton Rock guys and have them go back to just handling Brockton, if they're still going to be involved here, it does look like it might be a little unnecessary at the top between having a president and a GM and then other support staff around that. Like, obviously, you'll need support staff. I feel like you could get by with either just a president or just a GM in this regard, especially Mm -hmm. given the fact that roster construction normally is going to fall on the manager. GM-wise, it's like, okay, we do have the money to pay these dudes, right? 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 Right. And, like, the classifications (laughs) helps out a lot and whatnot. So, like, there's stuff the GM does involved in it, but a lot of it's going to fall on the manager to do. Now, maybe this is like a good decision also. So that way you have a you have a GM that's new to the professional scene. You'll have a guy that's new to the indie ball level, and then you have a manager that's completely new to the professional scene as a whole. So maybe having more people around just kind of helps, you know, cut down the learning gap. Maybe that's it. I could also see it going, you have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Is that gonna become a problem? Maybe it's just spitballing things that could happen but won't happen. I don't really know. Either way. On some level, I like to believe that we bullied them into hiring another person to manage things because it's gone, you know, 50-50 so far. That's a way to say it. Yeah. As in only 50% of the names that they've chosen have stuck. Um, there was five names. I'll, I'll say this. I mean, I, it gives me the vibe of he is probably friends with ownership. That's how he – they. it's not like he just showed that up for an interview sense. and they decided to hire him because he, he is – Working with Brockton in the city. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say as well, you know, I do think, oh, I might be off on this. I can back check it, but I feel like Frederick basically had the same front office running both sides. I know the genomes attempted that <laughs> with Lexington. Um, I'm, so I don't know. I don't know if it's redundancy. I don't know if it's just necessary to have the redundancy that's a whole other can of worms that i don't really know maybe that'll be an interesting conversation at some point with someone but um i will point out and this is not to be negative on this because i do think for this is a good addition i would say yeah yeah and we also don't know these handling baseball by the way we're just making an assumption they somewhat involved but it does make sense um but you know he was with tampa in years where tampa was not what is now tampa he was with Baltimore in some brutal, I believe, mid two thousand seasons. The Brian Roberts years, yes. And starting assistant GM with the Phillies two thousand eight. I'll be the first to tell you, Pat Gillick only gets partial credit on that two thousand eight World Series because that two thousand eight World Series was basically a World Series that was developed over the years prior. And then after two thousand eight, all they did was make some bad investments in some players 
and it didn't work out and the team imploded and then sucked for a decade straight. And then he left and now the team isn't good, isn't bad. So that's where I start to be like, well, hey, let's keep an eye, you know, look, yeah. working in a MLB front office for 13 years, you're doing something right. I assume, you know, from what I hear and what I've seen, he's, he's decent at what he does and he seems pretty good at it, but let's all just, you know, got a ring and he can't take away from it, but let's all be careful. That's all I'm saying. That's my word of caution with saying, I do think it's a good addition. He made a lot of moves and some I assume are good. Sure. Some of them must be right. Hey, I love throwing that one out there. I mean, I'm sure some of them must be. Hey, well, let's just phrase it like this. If the Mavericks league can get a TV deal, then this guy could probably do a good job. Facts. Not wrong. Oh, can we all just take a moment to appreciate that, that the Mavericks League has a TV deal? Not much going on out there, huh? No. Also on their website, they still have 2022 managers. Yeah, that makes sense. Go get them, boys. So speaking of uh, not a lot going on, we have some stadium news. That's how you know we have just a bustling week here. That's how you know. It's slow, and usually I would, in this situation, bring some like on-field transaction news to the table. And I got stuck with so much dumb work stuff going on this week that I'm bringing nothing to bail out Nick in this situation. So thankfully we did that interview last week, man, because it, without Jack, it would be, it would be very bad this week. Uh, oh my God. God. We'd be narrating solitaire games. You know, that's a bad idea. Well, I initially want to do a whole Festus episode with this. And I literally couldn't even plan it. I was so mad. Any case, so we're going to talk about some Massachusetts ballparks. Yeah, go for it. Uh, big New England pod to start here, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Spirit of New England, spirit of the revolution. Dude, I could have got some bunking before this, yeah? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> so, Pittsfield, they are doing renovations to a park, potentially. Wakona Park, it is a park, and it's also a baseball stadium. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a baseball um, stadium inside a park. They're going to be getting like $30 million in estimated upgrades, but they want to try and knock that down first because, you know, that's like hella expensive on God. But, yeah. <laughs> so they're trying to see what they could do. The biggest expense here is rebuilding the grandstand that apparently points towards the light. So, you yes, know, that's never good when you guys see the light. Well, yeah, I'm going to pull up um, before I point this out. I'm going to pull up on my map, but can you continue what you're talking about with it? Um, yeah. Before you go uh, further, do you think this is related enough to the Lowell ballpark where we talk about? That's actually together, what I was going to loop it into. Excellent work. All right. But yeah, There's, so they're going to rebuild the Grand we, Strand. They're going to do some water mm-hmm. mitigation and they're going to do some work to the parking lot, but they want to try and get this number down. I assume close to 20 million to redo this, but it is a historic ballpark. Mm-hmm. I believe a historic site registry as well built 1800s so got renovations since then obviously but long and short is home to the pittsfield sun former can-am league team potential indie ball market i suppose if we're going to start getting a little out there mainly because you already have one team in brockton you add a team there maybe another team in massachusetts in a ballpark that just got sold to the umass building authority that we'll discuss in a moment and all of a sudden you have a small little new england pod and uh, I think we can all kind of agree collectively the pod motion is where we're kind of trending to just due to the overall size of the Frontier League. And obviously, this would be a Frontier League move. It wouldn't really be 
at Atlantic Lake Stadium, I don't think. And that's well outside the orbit of everybody else. Or who knows, maybe mm-hmm. the Pioneer League just like, you know what, expansion to the East Coast now. It goes a long way around. Yeah. Um, I have thoughts on this one, but I can wait if you want to talk Lowell first because I do have some adjoining topics, I guess, throughout the two of them. All right, I mean, so, we can throw Lowell really out know. there. Yeah, All sure, right, we'll, we'll go with that. We'll throw the overview of Lowell and then we'll try to combine the two. Why not? Uh, so, <laughs> in addition to that Pittsfield news, there's also, as we mentioned, the other Massachusetts team, which is Lowell, formerly the Spinners, formerly Affiliate, formerly New York Penn. Lalasher Park is where they play at. It doesn't seem likely they'll be getting a Red Sox affiliate. There's currently a battle between them and Salem Roanoke. Both ballparks need work. However, in the case of Lasher, it was recently sold for a million to the UMass Building Authority. It is used by UMass Lowell for the college games. So obviously the ballpark's a little bit, you know, in need of some maintenance just because they're not playing during the summer, not really during the fall, just during the college season mainly. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, to get it up to snuff, to get it to that point where they could host a single A team again, it looks like about 40 to 50 million renovations. That's more than a public university is going to spend on a baseball stadium, unless you know you've got stupid money like the SEC does. So yes. it doesn't it doesn't really pay for a school that is probably best known as a hockey school and is I don't even know what league they play in, but probably like Patriot League or something like that, if that even. Um, UMass Lowell. Yeah. Uh, you know where they are. Figure that out real quick. All right. Um, well, all right. Well, mid major is really the point here. Mid major school fair. to spend, you know, 40, 50 million, it doesn't really pay. So if you're going to spend the money or the money's going to get spent, Roanoke maybe what winds up winning out. That being said, they're still going to put in about five to seven million to do maintenance and some improvements to this ballpark, Lalasher, that is. So that would still open up the door to having, say, an indie ball team. And if you're going to say, all right, the college season will end sometime mid-May, end of May, well, that's right in line with the Frontier League start dates, which typically are mid-May, second or third week of May. Mm-hmm. So you could, in theory, have them go right there, not have any overlap with UMass Lowell. And if there even is a little bit of overlap, let's say they want to use that for their graduation or whatever, Fine. Start them on the road for a week every year, and then have their uh, their home dates start the week after, and all's well and good. So yeah. it does line up a bit like that. However, it does seem like the preference around everybody around Lowell would be to be affiliated again. But it also creates a lot of other issues if they go that route. Yes, I have thoughts on both things here. Uh, okay. I guess I'll. So I guess start with Pittsfield. Because we okay. talked about them first, and then we can put a little. Yeah. And then My gonna... thing on Pittsfield is have you really looked at the layout of this ballpark? Briefly, I haven't studied it. It is one of those historic ones that have a football field across the outfield. Like it was like obviously multi purpose for like ever. Um, it yeah. has one fairly limited parking, it looks like this here or there. But the real thing is, it is like 375, I think, to dead center field, and there's really no room to expand because it's right up against a river, which is cool, but also, you know, not ideal. Um, yeah, and there's just nowhere to go expansion-wise. And when it comes to expanding the actual, like, 
ballpark it's like the stands i'm not sure really if anything's doable there as well because it's pretty crammed in man it's right up against like a diner and all that and they don't have much parking so it might be tough if you're trying to make a profitable professional organization there is my only is point, point. Yeah. um i will mm-hmm. say did you see the renderings for the supposed renovation uh i can flip back in case i missed it yeah if you just go to a corner yes, park yeah, yeah, and yeah. google it yeah yeah i got you yeah yeah it does look a bit better now i should I also agree. point out that having the actual like real grass no synthetic turf was not included in that 30 million dollar number that would cost you a considerable bit more to replace the turf but i would also say as long as the playing surface is good enough you can get by for a little bit without the uh, synthetic turf it's just a better option for hosting more stuff which you know would be nice but i don't necessarily know if it is you know a requirement right now i'll give you a news i'll give you a news dump i'm willing to to drop in the middle of this podcast that we've already joked doesn't have a lot of news on it yeah right so i can confirm without confirming further detail that there has been interest in atlantic city again from an indie ball league Mm. um up to the point of discussing with potential ownership um but i keep trying to warn people that it is dude it is going to be so expensive to get that ballpark going like Mm. we're looking at this ballpark which is smaller yeah and has not been sitting empty for so long in atlantic city with a bit of storm damage <laughs> uh and we're looking 30 mil um we are talking about as well this lowell ballpark which to get it up to the industry standard of minor league baseball would cost 40 to 50 million and if they're like just doing enough it'll probably cost about 10 million dollars for the maintenance improvements and that hasn't been sitting empty for a decade plus so if you're the atlantic city contingent just keep that in mind whenever you hear news about what's going to happen with that ballpark just you're going to want to be patient with that because it's yeah. not easy or cheap. Um, yeah, like the Sand Castle yeah. is a big ballpark too. There's a lot with it. A lot, and, yes. And the business end of it, I imagine is a lot more detailed and how you would have to run it and how you would have to market it is a lot different than how you'd have to run and market Pittsfield. Because looking at this renovation, I've seen elsewhere here from the renovation committee, it looks like if they go elevated option, which I imagine is part of their uh, water mitigation one, if they go this route, it looks like there's about uh, 1350 on fixed seating. So that's not that big of a ballpark, really. Mm-hmm. Although it actually probably would fit surprisingly well for the Frontier League. Like It could. Like it would be on the low end, but it could fit in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if it looks like it's crowded, it's a better look, too. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I've. I've been pretty open about I'm not against the idea of a smaller ballpark, especially if you have some good standing room only. So if you do have games that generate more of a crowd, um, that you do have somewhere to put them. Um, I I have been pretty vocal that I actually don't think Castellan did a bad job on that ballpark. Some people are like, it's too small. I think it's, no, it's not. might be the future. It might be the future. They might have nailed that. But yeah, everything's um, trending a little bit smaller there. Which... Yeah. And for those who don't know Gastonia, it's like, I mean, eight rows deep, I feel like almost every section. Like, that's about it. Um, interesting to think about. But continuing, I think, yeah, you're just handcuffed, financially handcuffed. 
Because if there's a new owner coming in to do professional, if we're talking about this potential indie landing spot, I think it's unlikely just because I'm sure they, this might be used to lure somebody in, but it also comes with a lot of, I feel like headaches and overhead. And the fact that it is, I mean, oh my God, it's historic. That limits how you can modify it for money-making opportunities. Again, one of the holdups I found with potential owners of Gastonia was that uh brandon bellamy wasn't selling it with the property around it which limits even that limits how much you can make uh profit wise and the the selling point in Atlantic city is the profit the property around it comes with it so that ties in but i think it's unlikely unless they can i don't know i just don't know the ballpark's built for it i'm not sure how hungry well i guess if they're already going to me i keep talking myself back and forth on this damn <laughs> yeah because like here's the thing if they're going into that region already it's clear yeah. that they, they're interested in that traditional Can-Am market, which is that New England region. Yeah. And it helps connect everything a bit more. And mm-hmm. depending on what their plan is, what's their ultimate size goal, if you could regionalize it a bit more, where it's say like it's Canada and New England, and then it's like mid-Atlantic general region, and then it's West, that works. Or you could divide it further if you're going into, say, a 20 situation where you have four regions of five teams mm-hmm. and then you just take a winner from each region and then there you go there's your playoff setup we have like a west yeah. midwest east and north mm-hmm. no you're right anyway yeah. i guess i could see it yeah in the same way that like we talked about a little bit with the pioneer league expansion like i don't know that it's ideal but i also think if the frontier league is looking to expand then it is an option so yeah there there we go uh, that's where i've landed here yeah um like, I'll agree yeah. with this much where I don't necessarily think this is the best option because just looking at league averages, even if they were to sell out every game, they would still be the second lowest attended team. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken here, I may have missed one team, but it looks like uh, 1,400 would be the next lowest after, well, we know who's lowest. So, you know, yeah. So under that, guys, I'm not sure if I love that. I'm fine with a smaller ballpark, but like smaller ballpark in my mind is like 2,000, 2,100. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's a good number. If you can average, say, like 1,600 a game, 1,700 a game, that's a solid doing right there. And you can operate within your means. And if you figure it's a smaller ballpark, there's less overhead. You have mm-hmm. less staffing needs. You can make it work better. And if it's a newer ballpark, you could probably. I don't want to say you could design it smarter, but you can create it so that way the layout and the flow of it is conducive to running a a tighter crew to where maybe you don't Mm -hmm. need as many people. I'm not saying you make it higher tech. I mean, that doesn't really pay for A, an outdoor venue, and B, one that's primary use is going to be public functions and a minor league sports team. But you can definitely make it so that way there's certain areas that traditionally require staffing that no longer require staffing. So I would say the smaller ballpark's good, but this is, I think, a little too small. I think you need like another 500 to 600 seats to really feel comfortable running with that. So which I would grant you is, a field. Which is somewhat doable. The field will partially, because it runs up against other properties, like the stands rather, partially because it bumps up against other properties, kind of wrap around where it comes like behind first base almost. Okay. And if they were to maybe on like the third base side, try to straighten that out, like down the left field line, they could fit some more maybe, or again, some patio spaces, 
make the whole thing very because you, I mean, you can yeah. pack in hundreds into those group and like patio areas. So that might be the way to go. And if they get it straightened out, whatever the hell they're doing right center where there's currently, I know they don't play with it that way because I've seen their dimensions and it is not measured out to 432 feet in right center. Yeah. Um, but it is like a far corner of the football field essentially, but I can see there's a little fence that cuts across it, but behind that fence, which is also your property because it was part of the current football field. If they can get approved to do some sort of patio area there, that could be fun and cool and a good way to bring in extra people and some bar money and all that stuff. So there's methods to making the money if you're creative and you're able to get things approved. The historic place thing could complicate things more than people are expecting. Yeah, I believe I saw on the Ballpark Digest Place and Block Me article that it wasn't going to affect it all that much. Okay, <laughs> that's funny. So, uh, so that's the thoughts on that. I'm trying to think but, here. Yeah. I'm similar. As, yeah, Yeah. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, no, if you were ready to move on, we could go to the Lasher Park here and talk about I'm that cool a bit. Yeah. yeah. All right. So any thoughts on the Lowell situation? The thing that stood out most to me, there's two. Um, the first was we just talked about MLB doesn't care about you. Um, so stop worrying about MLB so much because just like this, like they, you know, they, they broke up a lull and you know, that's a bad look. The Red Sox did. And, and that's a tough scene. And they said, look, we're coming, we'll get you. Like basically like we got you, like we'll come back. We got you. Mm -hmm. And then here we are like everyone's, I mean, they talked about it like fairly openly in the media as if like oh it's a definite not definite but like yeah we uh, almost, a, almost a wink and a nod of like well yeah like that's if you know it, because the option at the time was hey they could join the atlantic league that's you know not a bad spot or jump in the frontier yeah, or whatever landing spot and basically they responded like no we fully intend to be back uh with them shortly and boston i think was talking the same way and now it's just like it fade just fade out into mm -hmm. Not like nothing. It's crazy to see. I think that's disrespectful, and especially they'll do that to a team that's basically in their backyard in their market, but uh, yeah. to a town. Rather. Moving past that for now. Yeah. Uh, I I saw. Was this the one where the the main rumor was that they'd probably have a um, look for a summer league team? That was, I think, the next best option. Which I mean, I could see that working too. Mm -hmm. In the sense of, they're already used to New York Penn League kind of players, so age range is about the same. Like Massachusetts can support Cape Cod League stuff, so yeah. Well, that's the counterpoint, though. Is you know, if you're in Lowell, how far is it to just see a Cape team? Fair, but like it does make sense on their timeline because they don't want the overlap with the UMass team. So if you're going to go college, obviously the college teams can't play until the NCAA teams are done. Mm -hmm. So. Well. Yeah, I follow. Um, it, is it just it, that it, it sticks in my head a little bit because it, it stands out as something that's strange or is it real? Like, is it real life I'm picking up on where yeah. I feel like a lot of these teams, their immediate or a lot of these towns with ballparks, their immediate reaction is to look toward, um, uh, summer league teams rather than indie ball teams. I think it is. Uh, uh, maybe not immediate, but I do think a lot of them go right to summer league. I think it's a little bit more traditional to them. 
And also, in case you're wondering, as of right now, if you want to drive to the nearest uh, Cape Cod League team from I was Lowell, checking it right now, yeah. Yeah, two hours. <laughs> bad, but, I mean, I, I see it. I mean, they yeah, were able to support Lowell while still being that far from Boston. So Yeah, and also, I mean, realistically, where Lowell is, you're not that far from just going to Manchester, New Hampshire, I which has say, a double-A team. That. Yep. Yeah, so like you're kind of near other stuff here. So like I get, oh, only an hour and a half. You take uh, four ninety five right now. How about it? Yeah, yeah, that's not bad at all. Oh yeah, Nashville's <sighs> not far either for as far as uh, summer college goes. Right. So, but back on that summer college point, I think a lot of them view it as okay, this will be cheaper, and the quality of play will be similar. Now that's not really true, but no. I could see if you don't know the difference, how you could think that. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely have been hearing that too. It's like, if it's not affiliated, it's all the same. There's, you know, that's been the vibe I've gotten, especially from a lot of formerly affiliated organizations. Um, and that's not to overlook the fact that it is damn expensive to start up an any ball team. And it can be hard to find an owner who will do that. However, yeah. I do think there's a popular thought process of it. It's basically the same. And I think that is in a way fine to think. I'm not going to say correct mm. because sure. The idea is, you know, it's just better to have ball like baseball and people don't necessarily care as much about the on-field product in a lot of these places. But for anybody who did like the on-field product and is looking, you know, we talked about it with the Oakland bees, you know, people come in there, having seen the Oakland A's and now they're comparing to MLB, you know, the danger of mm -hmm. that. I think a lot of it is, you know, they're comparing it to affiliated ball. If you go watching double A to frontier Atlantic league, that's comparable with, I mean, the data shows that if you go yeah. to a draft futures league game, whatever the hell we're calling it, it's definitely summer league. It's going to give you a definite drop off and, and, you know, I went to Trenton this year. I checked out that, you know, the draft league for the first time. And honestly, it was like Jackie noticed. She was like, oh, yeah, this is this is noticeable. And she's not, she's not into it like that. Uh, so, say, that's a very dismissive way you said that. Well, even to the lay person, I guess it would be. Not the person who's watching indie ball games every single night. Even to the They're commoners. Like, to the common folk, I will soften it too. Uh, yeah, man. So... I, Definitely, there's a drop, and you could lose some people there, some formerly loyal customers. But yeah, interesting. That's all. I, I was just curious what you thought about it. I do think it's probably money related, but it, yeah. it's just always jarring to see because it feels so different. But I guess maybe I needed the reality yeah. check of to most people. Maybe it's not. I think for a lot of people, if the at park experience, I guess is the best way to put it. Is comparable to minor league ball, it doesn't really matter because they're not coming for the game, right? Like, that's the thing we've always said. Like, with minor league sports in particular, it's less about the on field product and more about the experience, which, yeah. again, is a bit disheartening if you're one of the people mm -hmm. that cares about, you know, on field product. But, like, you also understand it's still an entertainment product at the end of the day. So, you know, you understand it, you get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a balance. And yeah. and it takes knowing your market, it takes knowing the people involved. And also, you know, I think there's one of those things where it could be like 
you know, maybe it would be nice to have this, but it is multiple times more expensive to have the professional True. indie ball teams come in. True. So I, there's a lot there. It's mostly financial, I think, almost entirely financial, but inter- it's just interesting to see. And it's interesting to see when we're considering potential um, things to complicate um, to complicate the future of indie ball's expansion, you know, really yeah. seems to be the goal for every league. Yeah. It, I don't know. See, here's the thing too. Like, I kind of understand it, but I don't entirely get it. Like, I understand the rush to get bigger and the profit potential, but there's also an inherent risk with it where mm-hmm. one bad team can really do a lot more damage on this level than on many other levels. Yeah. So, it's just, it's very interesting. And I, I already know because obviously I'm the one who put together the sheet for the Q and A questions. There's <laughs> indie ball expansion questions on there, so I guess we'll leave some meat on that bone for now, because yeah. next week's the Q and A episode. Get the questions in, by the way. But, but, yeah, I I totally I get where people come from on that front. I understand the appeal and the lack of appeal on both ends of it, but it's interesting there. And I overall, as far as Lowell is concerned, I feel like between the two. Lowell has more of a case for being in a frontier league market. The ballpark fits better. The overall market fits better. I do kind of wonder if they're even interested in that or if they'd rather just be like, nah, screw that. I ain't going to do that. I mean, they've already had opportunities also, you know, like, yeah, but when you passed think- up on it. Yeah, but when you think the 8 out of 10 still in your range and you realize, oh, wait, no, I should have taken the 6. All of a sudden, the five looks better. Yeah, because you can justify that. Because if yeah. you were to jump into indie ball now, you get the "why the hell didn't we do this years ago?" You know how many jobs, how much income, all that. Yeah, um, yeah I see it. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't like, know. That's just my thought on it. It's just like at a certain point too, you have to cut your losses on it, right? Like you have mm-hmm. to say we can't go small park empty. We wouldn't have to spend the same amount. I mean, if you went to UMass Building Authority, who owns the building, and said, "Hey, instead of spending fifty million, what you could do is only spend fifteen million. And I don't know if the league. I assume they don't have the mind to help them out with that. But if you say fifteen million over the course of say five years, sign this, you know, however many year contract, say a five year contract with like." an option to extend for an additional year. That's not a terrible ask. I mean, try city signed a three-year deal and then just re-up that same deal. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at tri city, a former New York Penn league team, that's also in market. You'll also have at least one year off of the chowder heads to be like, okay, knockouts, my mistake, but you'll have another comparable market, at least in terms of geography to go off of you'll have some data points to work with. And if you say, all right, we can run this organization similar to, if not better than those other two, then we can make it work. And realistically, Tri-City seems to hold some sway in this league. If they want to have a local opponent there, which will be, you know, I can't imagine more than two and a half hours away. I should have looked it up when I had the map up, but (laughs) figure about that away. It helps reduce the travel again, which was a concern for them. It gives them another case for the pod. And realistically, if you could just find one other market in that region 
that is acceptable, then you have two in Massachusetts, one in upstate New York, and one wherever the mystery one is. You throw another team in in uh, Canada, say Montreal. All of a sudden, then we have our four Canadian teams, and that's one mm. whole bracket there. Now it sucks if you're Ottawa because you're kind of out in an island there in Ontario, as opposed to everyone else being Quebec. But that's life in the city sometimes. So all of a sudden, you have two set up there. You have your three teams that are all in the greater tri-state New York region. Depending on what happens with that Atlantic City tidbit you drop, that could be your fourth. And then it's just a matter of breaking up everybody else out west, which, again, is fairly doable. And those teams are all used to traveling to each other, so it's not as bad. They'll presumably be more open and accepting to it. So obviously that's drawing a lot off of a little here, but I still feel like, like Lowell is a possibility. And in the Boston Herald article here, it also says one of the last lines, Grant you, and it seems like just kind of a toss in line. But uh, the spinners could make a similar comeback as a summer collegiate or independent club. And the planned Lasher Park renovation could also open up new possibilities as well. So it's a lot to say, like, I do think Lowell could work even though they had the opportunity in the past because at Mm -hmm. a certain point, the ballpark's going to need that work either way. Would you rather do that work and let it sit for like eight months or would you rather do that work, have another tenant in there, get some income off the tenant, get the building some usage so that way the maintenance isn't as bad, make them the tenant do some of that maintenance work while they're using it and then be able to do a little bit more with it. Yeah. Um, two thoughts off that. And then I guess we're probably wrapped on it, but um, okay. thinking on it, you know, you could probably hope too, depending on what the ownership situation is or what it will be. You know, if you can find an owner who wants to get it in, like those in, in into any ball or whatever mm. that is willing to foot the bill on some of the reservation or reservation renovations, even that could also cut in and help out. I don't know what the logistics that would be. I'm just trying to think through like solutions so that it's not just, the city footing the bill, hoping that things work out. Because well, it won't even, even be the city footing the bill. It's technically UMass, so the university. Right. Yes, that's right. That's, right. that's right. That's yeah. right. So yeah. it's a little bit different. I imagine there's a little bit more money in there, but also that money's mm-hmm. going to you know, presumably yeah. should be going to academics. But you know, yeah. well, conversation. Yeah. Um. Well, so that's definitely something that that's. You know, an interesting possibility, depending, you know, what they're looking to do and who wants to get involved with it, that that can be our source of it. But also, you know, just keeping it up and keeping it within like striking distance of that MILB standard so that like you at least have, you know, it's not like, oh, we'd have to knock this down, then do this thing and then do that to get it up to where they want it. It's basically like if someone was in a pinch and they approached, they approached you or you approached them about like, hey, we'd love to have a partner league team in Lowell. You could not part league team. Sorry, the uh, was they mm-hmm. call it the development leagues or whatever they're trying to sell, and then now they're all of a sudden using minor league baseball again. Um, yeah. it, we'd love to have a minor league baseball team in Lowell That's again. You can be like, oh, all we have to do then, like we already have a plan in place, we can do this within an off season and be yeah. ready to rock. So that's something to keep in mind. And, and as I was thinking about like what it would take if you do want to go back affiliated, if that is your end game, you know, having pro baseball in town and you know using what you've got to like kind of keep the the ballpark close and within an off season, basically of that standard. Uh, I was thinking about how if I'm an indie ball league trying to expand, like we've seen a lot of expansion talks with like Tennessee, Southeastern area. Mm. Um, 
that's not a bad spot if you're also looking for you know if this is the owner that you want that's a different conversation too but if i'm an owner who's like damn i'd love the cash cow that is that one of those uh development contracts with an mlb team mm. you what you could do is if you had the money is grab a team down around like nashville one of the popular yeah. you know expansion talk areas so and maybe around charlotte there, yeah. yeah put a little money in and then go from there i, I mean that would kind of be a strategy you know mm-hmm. but again neither that's way down that's so far from what we're actually talking about here Lowell, i think it's i think it's less than a 50 50 shot they end up having any ball but uh, yeah. hold on in the near future I think if they go a couple more years without affiliation talks kicking up, yeah. I could see it definitely becoming a move. I, then I would put it over 50 50. Yeah. yeah. Will we say that near future is what, like, say 36 months? Oh, that was exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Okay. So three years time. Enough. So I if agree. we're on the eve of, say, 2027 and they're still in the same boat, then it's like, okay, now we have to really sober up on it. I'd even take it a step further. And say, I think it's more of a 24-month thing. I think they waited out for two years. I think this year they don't really have much of an intention on it. Oh, he's smiling as he's looking at his phone. That can mean I was laughing because I was I was about to actually say uh, yeah. 30 months because I was thinking 24 months, but it felt short. So I was going to say 30, and then I was like, well, 36 is probably it. And then you said 36 and then you're like, well, maybe even 24. It just, it cracks me up when we're like weirdly on the same page. That's something so stupid and obscure. Well, it's such a niche field that we're both like pretty much going down the same road. So it's like, yeah, no, that's probably about right. Just off of experience. But like, yeah, like it just feels like that 24, like I could see 24 months though. Right. Because it's like, all right, year one, we're still holding out, holding out hope. Then Salem decision gets rendered, say, this time next year, they're like, oh, shit, we got to make a decision. And they're like, okay, let's look around. What are we going to do? And then in that 12-month period, we're kind of like saying, all right, what's the decision here? You go, you look at some of the summer college ones. You have the same conversation we had about, are we too close to the Cape Cod League to work and say, like, it would have to be probably the Futures League where New mm-hmm. Britain wound up going. And where I want to say Nashua is, and I think Pittsfield too. So you're still in that same region. You're still keeping costs down by, you know, you have to be regional at that point. Is that a more profitable margin and gets us closer to our end goal? And assuming the end goal remains the same with being a Red Sox affiliate. Or just going to the Frontier League, the better call here. And then you also, like I said, have that year of knockouts data and I imagine it depends entirely if it's still the same people that ran the spinners that are going to want to bring this team back. And if that's the case, you probably still know a lot of the people over in Tri-City. So that's just a phone call away. And again, I imagine Tassler would love to have Lowell in the fold. And so if they have Lowell in the fold, the best way to get them there is, you know, you make that call over to uh, Tri-City and go try and sell them on it. And we'll help mm. you out with the travel. That was your big gripe. We can make this nice and easy on you. We'll get you back to New York Penn League type travel. Yeah. Because even the yeah. 36 team schedule works out like that too, if you think about it, because 36 is an even number. So if you divide it in 
Uh, it actually could be divided by three fairly easily with 32, 32, 32, where you play 32 teams against the kind of more Western teams. And then you play 32 against, well, I, now you go 48 against your own division. You know, I have the numbers right, but I have who they're going to wrong. 48 against your own division, 16 against the West, and then 32 against, uh, against the other division in your conference that you would play in the playoff situation. Mm-hmm. That I think works out. Yeah. I think math. Why is all, let me start that again. Overall scheduling wise, that works out. So it mm-hmm. can work. Yeah. You may have to yeah. adjust the numbers a little bit to, f- to season the flavor basically, but it works. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it can present a solution for everybody involved. It just depends on if everybody's goals align enough. Yeah. So that then there's a lot of rotating pieces on that one. Like yeah. where Tri-Cities head is at, what Lowell's situation is versus what the Frontier League is hoping to do. Because the other thing that, you know, and we'll talk that we're going to leave this, we'll talk about it with your, yeah. with the Q&A. Yeah. But just to drop the, the sort of teaser on it, like I think we don't talk enough about the need for the Frontier League to expand in essentially the middle ground as well because they have enough teams in the middle there between east and west where it is a a complication and it's literally created an inconvenience for everybody on the east west because everyone has a drive to get out to there but they don't necessarily have enough teams to make it their own thing so somebody will still have to usually make that drive yeah yeah so and also, like they need, they have travel concerns too. We can't just write off those teams for the sake of, you know, no. the the inconvenience of the rest of the league. While we're talking about Tri Cities travel preferences, so it's worth considering, and it's worth, you know, yeah. Frontier League needs to be looking to expand there when you're looking to expand. So, exactly, it goes back to the whole point of uh, expanding inside your footprint. For a while, they've expanded the footprint, but now it's time to color in the lines. So, yes, yeah. very good point. Yeah. Overall, but yeah, I guess just I'll wrap up the low point with just between them and Pittsfield, they're in a better situation, which I don't think anyone ever doubted to be an affiliate team or to have more say over their destiny or be a, a professional team again if they wanted it. Whereas Pittsfield yeah. has a lot of a, a more uphill battle to go. Agreed. I think to summarize, I think it's a, a less ideal location in and outside of the ballpark. And I think they are a little more. I think Lowell as a town is more motivated to make that happen mm. or would be, even if they haven't necessarily been excited about indie ball in the past. So yeah, yeah. Agreed with that. So uh, two, I don't want to call them smaller pieces, but one, I think it's just more of a formalization on what we already kind of knew. And then the other one's just kind of a fun little piece, but um, Maryland court will allow the Gastonia vision to continue. Um, They're also the city of Gastonia that is looking for about $2 million in debt. Uh, some of these debts are unknown and unpaid wages, which I think we can safely assume is a decent number. Uh, seven plus thousand in utilities, thirty-two thousand in leases, one hundred forty thousand to the North Carolina Department of Revenue. That's basically the North Carolina version of the IRS. In other words, they didn't pay their taxes to the state, and then they also didn't pay their taxes to the Fed either, because the IRS is looking for one hundred twenty-six thousand dollars in unpaid taxes so that's not good when the irs is coming for you uh they're one of the few federal entities that make sure they get what they're owed so yeah 
Um, have fun with that one. I mean, not unexpected. Um, you can see there's movement there. Um, uh, I'm curious where this lands. So the one that I'm more curious about is are they free to fill that ballpark yet? I feel like they are. There's been a lot of talk about people being like, there's no way they get a team back in Gastonia. I think it's almost a done deal that there's going to be a team back in Gastonia mm-hmm. this season. Um, from what I hear, there should be an ownership announcement in January. Um, uh, that's We've discussed that in the past, so I won't harp on it. Uh, I th- The one I'm caught on is I guess they're legally clear for it. I, I can't see a way they're not because I'm betting that there's something in the contracts of if X, Y, or Z happen, you're out of the ballpark. Um, and it sounds like the city has basically evicted Bellamy and the yeah. the company. Yeah, that's, that's interesting, interesting what the court allowed them to, to do, make yeah. sure they have checked all the boxes. And it's when you see all the boxes that have to be checked. Like they had to, I'm sure there had to be contracts violated. They had to go to Maryland. The city had to approve it. The league had to okay stuff. So it's interesting. Like I, that's why I also think it was intentional that the Atlantic League did kick them out, like officially. Yeah. Because I, I suspect that, you know, they could have maybe lingered a little bit and figured out what was going to happen. But I'm suspecting that by kicking them out of the, like, you have a standard that you have to reach boxes that need to be checked to maintain your position in the Atlantic League. I'm guessing as long as the team was in the Atlantic League, they still had a claim to the ballpark based on their contract with the city and their lease deal with the city. So I'm, I'm, my guess, I don't have any insight knowledge on this one, but it was just weird to see the random, like they even booted out of the Atlantic League. Uh, um, now I'm starting to wonder if that was all because they needed to officially have them out of the league so that the city could officially proceed with getting them out of the ballpark as like they violated the contract in ways beyond just owing money. I, I can see that. Yeah, because realistically, until they're formally evicted and formally out, you can't put a new team in there. Right. So, if you throw them out and you throw them out for cause, that has to help. At the very least, it won't hurt and it will speed everything along. Plus, you want to throw the new team in, you can't have two in the same, two basically as the same entity. So, yeah, I, I would say that's a fair point to make. So, I just didn't want to. I, 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 <laughs> well, I was sitting here, I was trying to decide how relevant this is to everything and why they've done the things they've done already. And, and yeah. I'm guessing there probably was the process there. So this is feeling like the next step. And also I'm betting why we have been hearing about a new owner for about a month plus now. And I'm wondering if that's why they're targeting that January spot for the official announcement. Um, when you consider that they legally, you know, they can have, you know, a handshake deal or whatever in place, but you can't, they couldn't put a team officially in that ballpark until they went through the correct proceedings here. So just mm-hmm. before the holidays, this happening, that does time out to maybe back the theory that in January yeah. they'll announce it. Um, and to, again, quiet the concerns that, well, we'll guess we have a team. The big takeaway that I've had is, I mean, it took like a week and a half, two weeks. I don't know the exact time frame. It felt like a couple of weeks of the stat, the Spire City hiatus being official mm-hmm. to do a draft to separate up all the players. Gastonia has not had anything like that. Uh, the league has them on their schedule still, albeit with a, a weird little temporary yeah, yeah. logo. Mm-hmm. But um, they have not. They all those players, I believe, remain rostered to Gastonia. So uh, I would assume that will remain the case 
which again indicates that they feel that a team will be returning for Gastonia in the Atlantic League. Yeah, I plus at this point, it'd just be so hard to go anywhere else with it, right? Like, where mm-hmm. else are you going to go? You can't go back to Frederick, right? I mean, no, at this point, everything's already been dismantled. You have to reassemble it. And I mean, people that work or would work for them, not even just talking on the baseball offside, because if you are on the actual baseball offside or in the industry side of things, you have to be that pliable. This is part of the deal. But everybody else is not that pliable to be like, oh, okay, so for six months we were working and then for two months we were told we weren't going to work and now we're back to working and like, is your word any good? Because like, if not, then why would I bother, right? So that's not really a feasible option. Well, and I do think, again, there's a lot of overlap between the, the staff. So I think a lot of them haven't left. They're still there. But I think the number one thing is I don't think the league wants to untangle the mess of we just gave away all your players to the draft. True. <laughs> That's a tough scene. And your so manager's currently managing there. another team too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's the one they're not looking to walk back. So, yeah, it just is a... Uh, it's just an overall mess. I'm laughing because I just saw there was a Reddit thread for uh, like a game day thread. FSU Board of Trustees versus ACC. 10 a.m. Eastern time, and then there was a post-game thread. Billable hours defeated. Billable hours defeats FSU board trustees and ACC. <laughs> Jesus, but yeah. So that's the situation with Gastonia. Uh, they're in third trouble. Uh, if you're the NC Gas House t- side of Gastonia, you're in trouble. Uh, if you're not, then you're mm-hmm. doing all right. Yeah, Plus, where the entity says owed money, in which case then. Uh, they're in bankruptcy protection, so we'll see how that goes. But, uh, oh, yeah, boy. only piece of news that's left, and it's just kind of like a fun little note. Uh, the Lake Erie Crushers are going to host a solar eclipse watch party on April the 8th. It's a Monday. And, uh, yeah, there is a Fusion Live thing. Uh, spend the day at the ballpark with the national entertainment group Fusion Live, this interactive and engaging game show will be your chance to win amazing prizes. Show us your dance moves and celebrate this once-in-a-lifetime solar experience. There's also a planet passport. Pick up a passport and follow uh, a journey along the solar system while completing different... They have STEAM, but I always thought it was STEM. It has become STEAM. I I worked in a school recently. I I can vouch for it. Ew, I hate it. Um, Steam activities and crafts once completed, you'll be entered to win a Lights Out in the Land prize pack valued at over $500. Ooh, okay. Other kids' activities courtesy of Lorraine County Libraries. More activities to come. Stay tuned. Uh, there's actually a full tentative schedule, an itinerary, literally, um, to watch this eclipse, it goes on. Uh, it's an eclipse like an hour long. Yeah. Okay. That's a thing. But yeah. So in case people didn't realize, there's a total solar eclipse coming in April. Uh, this happens like I think once every fifty years or so. So yeah. This is actually the show that we needed Rob on because he knows right. about this. Damn. He's big into the astrology and not the weird awesome. kind that's fake. Yeah, the actual kind that's real. It's a tough scene. I got so many on that, which we're not going to do. Um, I would just note 
good promo. Yeah, uh, disappointed that they, you know, it didn't happen in season because I think that'd be really cool. Like, put a game okay. around this, but uh, still good promo. I like it. Getting the education tie in there, nicely done. Yeah, that's what I got. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I like it's just an example of really fun activities. I agree. Mm-hmm. I wish there was some way that we could have an exhibition or something, but obviously, it's four weeks too early for that. Even if it's end of April, you probably could have brought some guys in and done something. But they should be able to get a few probably for some signings, maybe if they want to. That'd be there good. Be, there's enough guys rostered, and I'm sure a couple are local. Yeah. So well, be nice if they want to go with it. Yeah. What is nice is the event's supposed to end at 4:30. It would have been awesome if you could have gotten like a couple of the local high school or college teams in there and had them play there as like the Eclipse game. Oh, dude, not a bad idea. Yeah, because already Lorraine County is helping sponsor this, the library. So if you could have like Lorraine County community versus um, maybe another JUCO that's nearby or something like that, that could work. Local prison, whatever works, man. Oh, dude, this isn't Joliet. Yo, well, fair. They're named after it. I can't hate on it. This episode has run its course. It definitely has. Let's go. Let's <laughs> throw this to this interview and then we'll get out of here. Uh, I'm going to make you intro this interview because you're the stat boy. So do the stat stuff as I read through this post-game billable hours victory thread. Stat stuff. Um, yeah, this is somebody that I want to chat with. Uh, if you're into the stat side of baseball, specifically obscure indie ball baseball, that's definitely, uh, this is a good interview for you. But either way, uh, if you're looking to sort of make your way in the world of indie ball and eventually, you know, beyond, it's also a good interview for that. So talking to uh, an acquaintance, becoming a friend of ours, uh, Jack Kelly, who uh, he was working with Juliet this year, speaking of Juliet, nice tie-in. Um, and yeah, he's just been, uh, he has created Frontier League FL Savant, Frontier League Savant, um, which is a great resource and great stat database for uh, Frontier League stats from last season. I got some really cool stuff over there. He'll talk to us about how that kind of came about. And he's also, uh, you know, we like, he is a great person for within indie ball as we continue to strive for being the most legitimate professional baseball organizations we can possibly be and having the analytics tie in uh, and treating the baseball seriously like an MLB team would, I think it's a good step, both for getting guys signed and for getting new people involved in indie ball. So um, that's something that Juliet and multiple Frontier League teams seem to be invested in as well as others, but uh, it's good to hear from somebody who's really been inside of that. So that is our Jack Kelly interview coming up here. Definitely. I mean, he was a really great guy to talk to, a very interesting guy. I may not have understood most of what he was saying, but um, I did ask the questions that most of us really wanted to answer, which is, why is he working to destroy the game I love? Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very important question that I felt like we need to ask, and I feel like... Yeah, extremely fair. I feel like there's a non-insignificant amount of people in indie ball that go, he's fighting the good fight. We don't need the numbers. For sure. But, oh, yeah. It's a little more prevalent here, but that's fine. Before we get off the rails too badly, uh, here's our interview with the founder of FL Savant, and I would like to say the leader in Frontier League data analytics, Jack Kelly. We return to the long-running interview series with the leader in advanced data and the creator of FL Savant this week, and that is Jack Kelly. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm going to open it up with the question of 
why are you working in a space that's trying to ruin the game I love, which is numbers? Because I'm afraid of numbers. There's I'm a reason all, I'm here, Jack. I've always been a numbers guy. Um, uh, start, got my start in baseball analytics, uh, freshman year of college. Um, I'm a computer science major, and I've always been passionate about baseball. I uh, played baseball since I was five. Um, and kind of just over time, I, my interest merged. Um, got more into it, started learning a whole lot more. Um, started working for this guy um, that went to my school named Keenan Long, uh, Longball Labs. We do uh, kind of like a, a bat uh, analyzing, analyzing big league bats. Um, so over time, just got more more passionate about it. Um, and just about everyone that they consider baseball analytics has seen Moneyball. Um, so inspired by Moneyball. Um, but yeah, and uh, over time, I, my passion just got even bigger for the game. Um, so that's how I got my start. That's I'm sorry for for uh, for scaring you with numbers. Yeah, see, I've just never been a math guy, so I see numbers I'm like, ooh, scary. What do these numbers mean? So I guess that's kind of like my segue into. Uh, obviously, you start FL Savant. I'm going to imagine as an extension of the computer programming and love of baseball. So, a, how did the Frontier League get that jump? Because I know you worked with Joliet for a bit, and more than that, what are some of the numbers you have on there and their meaning behind it for people like me that just look at them and go, okay, these are numbers, but they tell a story. I just don't know what the story is. So, Ryan's looking at me sure. now, like, oh God, I felt that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. So. So the Frontier League, they just, they uh, they partnered with the Acrotech and Baseball Cloud. I think the year before I got there, um, so they already had all this uh, ball tracking data. It's basically a system of cameras, and gives you data like you know release speed, uh, you know velocity, spin rate, um, spin axis, all that sort of good stuff. Um, so from that, you can basically derive anything. You can derive like on this hitters portion of the site, expected stats. So it's basically Expected batting average um, takes into account um, launch angle and exit velocity. Yeah. It, it basically gives you an idea of how those are correlated with with batting average. So it basically takes luck yeah. out of the equation. Um, okay. And so on a site, it's also it doesn't take into account um, park factors, which I know you guys yeah. do with your projections. Um, so park factors are, are out of the equation. It basically just says, you know, with this launch angle and this as uh, average as velocity, what should your batting average be? So gives you a good idea of how successful a hitter is at uh, hitting balls hard um, and finding barrels. Um, and that was the original, just the original part on the uh, hitters hitters part of the site. Um, over time, added play discipline stuff, uh, added ball data like. You know, average exit velocity, average direction, uh, approach type. So if the guy's a lefty and he's in the ball at this part of the field, uh, he's you know pulling the ball more than he is uh, going the opposite field. You know, the catcher part, they might be a little bit unfamiliar to guys, but basically every ball out of the strike zone that is called a strike adds 0.125 runs. Um, and over time, you accumulate those runs and also the opposite any ball inside the strike zone that's called a ball is minus 1.25 okay over time you accumulate that and you, you get a framing runs metric and 
from that, we can basically tell you know who the best catchers in the league are stealing runs. So yeah, I, I okay. really want a site that could take this take this data that we get from Yager Tech and basically transform it. Tell you what, you know, your guys' crowd like who the best players in the Frontier League are. Help Frontier League managers and coaches help them develop their players and help them find new players to make trades for or you know, acquire. So yeah. that was the goal of that website. Right. So it's just like, it's to take data that was already pre-existing and just distill it down to make it a lot more easier to find, easier to understand, just kind of try to find the guys that you may not expect to be good just on the surface level. But when you start looking into it, you get a more truer picture of the ball player they are. 100%. And, and no coach wants to stare at a spreadsheet all day long. No mm-hmm. fan wants to stare at a spreadsheet all day long. So it's like, if I could take the data and make, you know, I I think some pretty cool plots with it, some cool images, um, that's a lot more easily digestible for players, coaches, and fans. Well, I think and, I know one fan that may be interested in staring at spreadsheets all day. <laughs> so I'm going to toss it over to him right now. So, Ryan, I'm going to let you go geek out on uh, advanced numbers and metrics and formulas that I have no hope of ever being able to understand in full. But hopefully by the end of this, I'll be able to get a better idea. And I think that's already happening. So, hey, Ryan, let's go. take it. Yep. Jack, I'm making more progress than I have in months. Um, so I, the the one that sort of has crossed my radar early, it's a phrase I like, is the so what, which is like you can bring all the numbers to the party and make it a pretty chart and whatever else, but the, the question becomes, you know, and okay, what is the point from this? So like what have you been finding is, is the major, you know, action item that comes from having all this data? Is it going out there and, well, now we know maybe this is a guy that we'd be interested in acquiring or uh, this is a guy who has higher potential on our own roster, like, it, or is it just sort of a mix across the board? Depends person to person, manager to manager, type of thing. One hundred percent. So I know this data is is useful because a lot of stuff is what we did uh, for advanced scouting. You know, when I was working for Slimers, we look at a guy's um, we look at a guy's uh, how, how often he swings outside of the, uh, the strike zone. You know, how often he swings the first pitch. Um, you know, where's contact percentages. So I know it's useful because we used it. Um, and I know it could be useful to, you know, a team that wants to, you know, make a trade like, like here on the stuff plus stuff. Like you see a guy, you know, maybe he's pitching in what was, what was the one statement in the frontier? Like that's, uh, is that gate? Yeah. Gateway. That's got that really short, uh, small field. So yeah. maybe his stuff doesn't play gateway, but it might play, Inside Joliet, where left field's 340 mm-hmm. and center field's 400 feet or 400, yeah, 400 feet. So it's like, I think this stuff could be used. And even we've seen it, like, we had two pitchers this year from Joliet. They got signed by, by big league organizations. And like, my one of my interns, not my intern, but guy I work, for, work with as an intern, you know, I know he, he used a lot of the stuff. Um, when he was sending the data to, um, you know, Tyler J, who's a New York Met now, when he's sending them to New York Mets, it helps him get signed. So I think having this data um, that previously wasn't available is going to be uh, huge going forward. And like I said, player acquisition, uh, making trades, helping guys get signed, um, and helping guys move on from the Frontier League to uh, bigger and better opportunities. And that's the unique thing I, I find in 
at least well, obviously in indie ball is the fact that it's not just, you know, looking at the people, the players on their teams and the players on your team, but also, you know, MLB teams approaching them with this data. Um, I mean, have you found from, you know, having guys get signed that it, that seems to be a difference maker, at least something that, that helps to sort of paint a clear picture for these guys? I think it de- maybe it's not a difference maker because I know they all have their own analytics guys and, you know, if they're going to make a take a chance on signing them, they already have done all the number stuff on them. But I think, um, you know, a lot of the data that Frontier League has is proprietary. You can't just send over uh, spreadsheets from games to major league organizations. Like when I was in the dugout, I would have to take a picture every time one of our guys hit 95 or whatever his his uh, you know, benchmark number was. So anytime you hit over 95, you take a picture of it because you can't send that raw data over to a major league organization. So having having this data that wasn't necessarily available is going to be huge for helping guys get signed because you look on Frontier League website, they don't have uh, you know opponent expected weighted on base average. Uh, they don't have all this weird stuff. And you know batting average is nice, but it only does it so much. And we have these more advanced numbers. It really helps paint a better, clearer picture of you know what a guy's you know profile is as a player. And, and that goes to an, an, an I really my next question. I think maybe the most important thing here, which is, are you feeling like leagues are going to start moving more in this direction? I mean, leagues are happy to announce their deals with whether it's Yak or Tech, or when Atlantic League until recently was working with Baseball Savant. Uh, and, you know, they seem excited about it, but do you think? there's the follow through on that enthusiasm or is that something that we're still kind of waiting on? And and if we're still waiting on it, do you think there are moves within these indie leagues to start using this data and promoting this data and maybe doing it in a more organized fashion so it doesn't fall on like the Joliet intern who does this specifically to put together all the data or like random broadcaster who has an interest in it. Like as amazing as it is and how y'all are carrying it, it is a little frustrating to be like, it shouldn't have to be you, <laughs> you know, it shouldn't have right. to be it, you. Sh- I mean, thankfully it gives you that great opportunity to show off your skills, but I'm sure there are moments where you're like, I shouldn't, it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I hope that's the push, but you know, you've seen independent ball leagues. They don't, they're, I mean, you guys know it. They don't have the money to be going and spending on software engineers and, you know, analysts. So that's the main thing in, in my head is it just it's a money thing um but hopefully i mean it really if you have this data like the play-by-play stuff you can really tell anything so i think in the future i see it more interns like me that are getting hired and they have those software engineering and computer skills to go and like make these data transformations and then, ideally, it gets pushed more towards you know professionals, um, because really, you know these guys, they work their whole lives playing playing baseball, and you know they get to the, the almost the highest highest level. And some of these guys are right on the break of going to AAA, uh, getting signed with affiliated teams, and it would really suck to not have, you know, to just go off of slash line. Where you, you don't know, you know, you know all these advanced metrics. Um, so, ideally, that it gets pushed more in that direction. Um, I just don't know how how 
viable it is. So yeah, a lot of it is a cost and resource issue, but yeah, that's a really good point, man, that so many guys are so close. It's almost, it, it it's a shame to leave them that close. So, you know, hopefully you can keep bridging the gap there any way you can. Um, I don't want to overly take things over, but I will, I, I am interested to see sort of what your experience looked like while you were going through all this data and uh, things that you might have noticed or not. So I guess we'll go from the more conceptual to, you know, more facts on the ground type of thing. Um, while you're doing this, I mean, you know, analytics on an MLB, like baseball in general type of level. Were there any things that struck you maybe front, uh, among the Frontier League guys, uh, like maybe something that wouldn't work at the MLB level, but it seems to play really well with at the Frontier League level? Like when you look at the data, you're seeing a trend of, you know, successful guys are doing this and then it might have surprised you a little bit or was it pretty much what you would see uh, at kind of any level of baseball? Um, it's a good question. I I'd say it it's pretty similar to uh, big leagues. That's what I'd say. The only thing I I would say I found crazy was like you look at these teams like Gateway um, that just play in these like small parks and their numbers are all inflated. And mm-hmm. you see guys and they're like, all right, this guy's hitting four sixty. It's like how do you get him out? And then he we play him with Joliet and it's you know, he can't, he can't do anything because he's playing a, you know, high school park. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'd say it's pretty similar to uh, Major League Baseball. The pitching, on the pitching side, it, it's getting even closer. Average pitcher we'd see would be throwing, you know, 92, 93. So, like, when I was going up, I grew up in Crestwood, so Windy City. Um, and I remember going to games, they had that, that Raider gun in uh, right center. And if it hit above 90, it was, like, insane. So the leagues are getting better. They're always improving, and, and I think it's good to see. Um, with that, too, getting away from the data just for a moment, we'll, we'll circle back to it, but since you mentioned the league's improving, within uh, – I know there's a lot been made – it's been on my mind with Rule 5 draft because I'm a sicko, so I like Rule 5 draft. Um, there was not much going on, and a lot of it was attributed to, like, the delay and graduations from COVID and all that stuff. So I've also seen on some of the the lower rungs of indie ball, a lot of issues getting enough pitching and weird influxes caused by, you know, minor league cuts and then less college guys coming up. So there's a lot of variables. Have you at the frontier league level, have you been noticing or was there talk about, you know, it's just tough to get good pitching or it's tough to get good hitting or good talent in general. Is there anything that might be, currently affecting things that might run its course the next year or two that we should be aware of. And again, like I think of for an example, so you're not just hanging on some random question I've got like pioneer league and uh, they seem to have trouble sometimes getting pitching together just because, you know, pitching, there's a lot of pitching out there, but how good is it? A lot of guys stayed in college. So they lost a lot of their younger crew because that league is so young, um, things like that. So is there anything like roster wise that, just odds and ends externally have affected it and you're kind of seeing that play out in the data, but you know, it won't be a case long-term. Yeah. I've definitely seen, you know, I, I thought it was crazy. The frontier league, you get, you know, one day off week, it was usually Monday. Um, you're playing hundred some games and you know, the low they put outside their body is just insane. Um, there's a lot of times, you know, guys get hurt and it's like, we need two pitchers to get through the series. 
and it's just it's hard to do and you, you bring guys up out of nowhere sometimes you want to bring guys in and it's like we had it happen this year it's you got a call and they say they're available but they got to go on vacation for a week mm-hmm. so i can't yeah i can't be available next this series but you know call me a week and i come it's like well it's professional baseball so it's like you know yeah if you really wanted it you come come play but yeah, I mean it's it's different than LB in that sense because some guys take it less serious. Yeah, I mean we had a guy, I forget what team it was. It might have been Winnie City. They pitched their clubby against us, and he mm. just got absolutely lit up. I, yeah, it's say, hard to find I got a a top ten list of most indie ball things in the work just for some kill and time content and. Clubby pitching might be there, man. I was going to say clubby bullpen catcher while the bullpen catcher is playing, but <laughs> clubby pitching, that's something. Okay, that's a, that's a good call out. Um, yep. Nick, do you have anything I can pick to you or I keep going, whatever you like, man? Uh, I only got like a couple of things, so I guess I could just throw one or two of them out there real quick, but they're pretty, they're pretty basic stuff, although I do like how I was subtly called out about when you said uh, about batting average there thing is that goes back to what we were talking about two weeks ago in the pre-show hey if you're if you're feeling attacked that's that's on you i'm fighting the urge to fully explain the context behind that and how i was saying buster posey and david Wright are on equal footing for hall of fame which i know now having said that is gonna just like be very controversial but as a met fan i don't care (laughs) oh god just because he's a catcher doesn't make him special any case the batting average thing jogs onto my mind, which is obviously there's some stats that are not as highly valued in the analytic community and others that are. So what are kind of some of the ones that fly under the radar that traditional fans or more counting stat fans seem to think has a lot of value, but in reality, it's like, well, actually, that's just not really a good metric at all to judge by. Like I know, for example, I'm a hockey fan, and plus minus is the one for us where it's like that doesn't tell me anything at all, right? Yeah, yeah. plus I yeah I've heard of plus minus. Yeah, I, it's really never makes sense to me because yeah. it, it's it's basically like I don't know. It's yeah. where it you on feels the like yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And same thing with basketball. Basketball has the same thing. It, yeah. it, it really never made sense to me, but yeah. yeah I, I don't want to hurt your feelings taking batting average. It's it's definitely <laughs> yes. it's uh you know yeah. it, it serves its purpose. It it tells you yeah. how many times you get a hit, um compared to how many times like you're at, at the plate. Yeah. Um but I just think there's better stats that, that paint a bigger picture. Um yeah. like for example, slugging percentage. So yeah. you, so slugging percentage weights, singles, doubles, triples, homers. It's all one, two, three, four. There's a better stat, uh, winning on base average. It basically tells okay. you the same thing, except it adds uh, walks, hit by pitches, intentional walks, and it, it weights it more more accurately. The weights change every year depending on previous data, but it, it basically weights it so triples aren't worth three singles. I forget what the actual weights are, but. I think a triple might be worth like 1.9 and a single worth like 0.8. So it weights it better. It, it paints a bigger picture. So winning on base average is, is usually the first stat that I look at uh, when I'm evaluating a hitter. Um, there's some new ones, pitch grade models like Stuff Plus, 
they're making the works around the analytics community it basically uses a machine learning algorithm to grade pitch stuff using uh run value hmm. so stuff like that i mean i i still look at a guy's slash line i still look on how how often he gets on base but i think just having an open mind and and being able to look at other stats i think really helps paint a better picture of a guy's true talent and a guy's um, true production okay and so I think like part of the reason, at least for me, that's slow to really adopt it is I don't really know when I look at somebody's like weighted on base, what's a good number to have. So for some of the stats that you just mentioned, like what's a good number that I should look at and go, okay, that's average, that's above average, that's below average. What's uh, like roughly the number? Um, I'd say, I mean, that's the thing. It's like yeah. slugging percentage has been around for so long. And it's yeah. like guys just realize – what a good slugging percentage is. Yeah. Fangrass has has a, a thing where it's like, what's a good weight on base average? But obviously, I mean, Fangrass is kind of like a nerdy thing. It's kind of like more analytically mm-hmm. minded guys. So I wish they would they would put it out more. Um, I, I wish it was more publicly available, so guys would know like what's a good number. I I'd say I mean obviously it depends on the league, but. Let's see, look at average Frontier League here. It's like 330. It's, okay. it's probably above average. Around 300. All right. Pretty good. All right. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it's like, it's the same thing. Like, I understand it. it yeah. When these when these guys come in, they, they say me stats and you never heard of them. It's, yeah. I, I can understand the, the, um, I don't know, I can't think of the word, but like the know, context around it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I can understand the hes- the hesitance to be like to fully adapt it because yeah. you really don't know what what it is that is just being yeah. measured. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally get. It. And honestly, I think like especially for people like me, it's just not knowing the full context around that stat really is what holds you up. Like you just said, it's just I don't really know is this good, is this bad? How should I go to it? So you just kind of default back to the thing you know and the thing you're more comfortable with. So right. the the greater adoption of it really is just getting the comfort level uh, yeah. to be more uh, to be higher with everybody. But uh, to circle back to something that was mentioned earlier, we talked about Joliet or uh, not Joliet uh, Gateway and their ballpark and how it's set up here. I just wonder, like, is there a certain type of ballpark? Obviously, ones that kind of kind of have quirks one wall that's in way more than another maybe the answer to the question but are there certain ballparks that the way the design makes analytics tougher to really i say that as though it's like one thing uh but it doesn't make it harder to collect data from and really put more value on it if a ballpark has just a, a certain quirk to it like for example in rockland you have two short porches one that's in a little bit more than the other and then a very deep tall wall in center field does that make a bit tougher than say a ballpark that's more of a traditional, okay, the wall's about eight feet tall and it's all about 300 all the way around or 350 and it's all traditionally set up. Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's, there's stats that take that into account and they're called park adjusted stats. Uh, yeah. So you have your weighted runs created plus takes that into account. So they, tr- they try to get everyone on the same, same level, like, like war. Ward does park adjustment. Uh, but as far as the Frontier League, it's 
I think there there are ways. I didn't make any park adjusted stats, but just having that context of yeah. you know what park guys play in um, is huge. I think when you're thinking about making trades for guys, you gotta think: does their swing play in your home ballpark? I mean, pitching too. It's like maybe a guy really struggles. He's putting up like a five, six year A in a different ballpark, but you bring him in here. It's like, you know, maybe he starts shining because maybe he doesn't really do a good job of, of limiting hard contact, but the ball's not really going to go out. So, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the debate that me and Ryan had for a large chunk of last year. It's like, okay, is New Jersey this good of an offensive team or is it more? the fact that this is how their ballpark is set up on. And I think we're still somewhat divided on that. But, yeah. Well, yeah. I so James Nelson, was he? I think he's a New Jersey yeah, guy. Yeah, he's a New Jersey guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. So on here, um, he's listed as, you know, number two, expected weight on base average. So he hits balls hard. Was another guy from New Jersey. I think he's on uh, here. Yeah, let me, I'm going to get the page up right now. Uh yeah. Uh, Marte yeah. was one of them, too. Yeah. Marte, yeah. Yeah. So, Terrell, it seems like, these, there too. seems like these guys hit balls hard. And, yeah. I don't know. From from what I've seen, they were pretty good offense, but, you know, it is hard to tell. I've seen their yeah. work. And, uh, yeah. Exactly. So, that's about a large chunk of what I have. I think anything else I ask is just going to really seem very basic because again, I'm still new to it all. So I'll let Ryan get back into the real meat and potatoes of it and let him uh, continue to feast. Cause I could tell he's really into, uh, really into the math of this. So, uh, I'll swing it back to him. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, building off that a little bit, um, I'm trying to even think, cause I thought of a few things there that yeah. I, trying to figure out what's the most logical way to ask these so it's not just me throwing things out there from just absolutely anywhere. That's um, what I do. Just do that. Yeah, fair enough. I, it did seem to go well. Um, so did you did, You say you didn't do any park-adjusted stats this year? Yeah, I didn't, no. Best of luck if you decide to do that because yeah. been, that's been my ongoing project and it's a thing. And it, I'll tell you, I'd love to see your thoughts if you had a chance to look at Pioneer League and just the normal way that you would just do some park factories out there because they've had what, like two full, three full years now of, uh, of indie ball. And there's been some flux, like there's been, I think one ballpark that was like a 0.97 one year and there was a 1.3 the next with no explanation of how or why. So if you want something to drive you crazy, I will invite you to look at the pioneer league uh, offensive situation. And there seems to go both ways. So it's not even like a pattern. Um, but looking at it, I mean, talking about things that maybe you didn't do, it, is there something that you wish you had the opportunity to do that it just, you know, it wasn't able to be done or, you know, you didn't, it just didn't have the time, man. Cause you were working on this wildly detailed site. Um, and, and you know, maybe what's the next thing that you want to dive deep into the next opportunity that you get. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I want to get to and just like, couldn't get to. I can't think of anything right now, but it just every day I went to the ballpark. Um, it was just another thing. It was a completely different day. A lot of ideas I discussed with my fellow interns, and yeah, I'm, there's a lot of stuff I didn't get to. I'm sorry, I couldn't give a better answer, but yeah, I mean, no, no, you're good. Definitely, it was 
it was a new day every day at the ballpark. Um, and, uh, yeah. I think in summary, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot you got right. to, there's a lot that you couldn't get to because you just had to jump in somewhere and that's where you ended up. Um, right. that actually does get me thinking that So your internship, what was that internship exactly? Was this like, you know, you were doing the day side of things, but during the game yourself at the 50, or was this like specifically in the baseball operations van? No, luckily it was specifically baseball operations, uh, which I really enjoyed. So I get to the ballpark. Uh, I can't remember exactly what time. I think for 6.30 start, maybe it was like five hours for four. And I think my, my official title was advanced scouting and analytics guy. So get to the ballpark early. Really just if uh, it was the night before a series, we'd, we'd finish up our advanced scout the series before, or sorry, the, series, the next series. And after that, after I was done with that, um, it's basically free to, to do whatever I wanted to work on. Some guys, some guys worked like by one, one guy, John Hep. He was really good at R, programming R. So he was always making super, super cool plots, which really helped a lot. Like obviously baseball cloud, what they did was, was really cool for us. And it was a really cool database, but a lot of times if you want to have a plot that they didn't have, you kind of just had to make it yourself. So he was really good at doing that. Um, the only really like outside of baseball, I guess it wasn't really even outside. We, we had to set the field, like set up, take down BP. But even after that, it was like during the game, I was in the dugout all the time. So I'd be, we'd have an iPad set up and I'd be taking down uh, data from Yaker Tech. So pitch speed, what kind of pitch it was. And like, you have to plot it on a piece of paper, like where it was in the zone. So guys don't want to know that, like how they got pitched uh, last at bat, you know, a manager would want to know if the ball was a strike or not. And it's like, it's really sunny out and uh, it's clearing out the iPad and you have to kind of like tilt it. So it's like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a strike. So that was I – I had an absolute blast this summer. It was a lot of fun, and like I said, I, I learned a whole lot, and uh, I made some really good connections. They're going to help me going forward. Where did you say you were during games with that? Were you in the dugout? I was, yeah, in the dugout. All right. The Frontier League doesn't care. Okay. For a second, I was like – I don't know oh, what I the know different rules are, too. but if it was like something in the middle of like – I would just be like, hey, maybe watch that Like when it comes to the edit. Um, <laughs> if this was the Atlantic League, you would be starting a whole thing, unless you're on Long Island. Um, you can't have so, uh, interns in, in the dugouts? All the players you can't them. have like technology. Oh, really? Which was funny yeah. when like, it was funny when it was like a big thing with, uh, we we're, were laughing about when like Incavelia oh, went, yeah, went off on that. that yeah. And like the league was just like, we don't care. <laughs> like the league was like, it's always been fine. What are you talking about? Oh no, the league. Uh, it wasn't even that. The league said we can't place it, so we don't care. Yeah, that's well, that was it. That was the response. And meanwhile, the Atlantic League is like running like, like yeah. covert ops trying to yeah, figure like a, out a black ops team waiting in a press box. Like our that tablet. Yeah, take them down. They're sniping smart watches on people. Yeah. The thing is, so I think I'm pretty sure. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, technology was. Yeah. was uh you know legal we, we never got you know the umpires do we had technology because every time he made a wrong call yeah. guys would get you know chirp them and the, the only time it became an issue was 
was when they'd be like, all right, come on, settle down. Because guys really got on them. Like, yeah. yeah. To the point where it's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I almost felt like bad for him because, you know, he's getting chirped so bad over, uh, you know, missed balls and strike call. But, yeah. you know, that's, you never, I never dealt with it in, in college. Yeah. You know, you're always taught to be respectful to the umpire, but, you know, pro guys are a little bit different. But, uh, yeah, that, that was the only issue wow. we had with it. Yeah. Meanwhile, some of those guys are sitting there and you're like, man, I don't know what to tell you, but like the difference <laughs> between you one, two and two, one is not that big. My guy, <laughs> like, you, it's always the, the guys who are like, man, I don't know if an extra ball is really going to help you. <laughs> like they're the ones chirping the loudest. I feel like, yeah. um, so when, you know, it, first of all, very cool that Juliet had, uh, like specifically baseball interns like that is very, uh, that's very unique. I mean, some do, but there's a lot of, I mean, for lack of a better term, like extra BS mixed in, like whether it's off the field or it's baseball, but like you're doing laundry basically, like whatever. Yeah, um, other duties as a sign. So popular in any ball and minor league yeah. baseball on the whole. But um, it, that's, so that's really cool to hear when, yeah. and maybe with that, it's a different environment with Juliet. So I'm open to that. But how was the reception, whether, it seems like, uh, I guess, away from the coaches and the coaching staff, because it seems like they're fully on board if this is what they're willing to sort of lean into. But when it comes to the players, were you finding that they were pretty receptive to it? Or was there kind of a line where you'd be like, most guys would start to be like, eh, okay, like I don't even know what to do with this? Or was it just about everybody's like, hey, give me all you can get and I'll see how I can utilize it? Yeah. I mean, you got to know, you got to know if the player you know, likes the numbers or if he doesn't, you know, how response to the data. And some guys really liked it. Some guys want to know everything. And the other guys, you know, you're not that they're like, you know, they don't like the data, but like you just want to stay away from them. Uh, you know, you don't want to mess around with them because, uh, I mean, they're professional. So however they got to where they are now, they, they're going to do their own thing. All the coaches – Ron Bora for the most part, but well, you, you got to let the coaches do their thing. So you're not going to go out of line and be like, and and try to get in the player side of, you know, some some certain stat and how they can improve. You go to the, the coaches and, and work up the chain of command there. Our, our manager, Dan Schlereth, he's a former big league guy. I don't think he was too big in the numbers, but you know, that's just the way he was. So um, he, was, he was big on, on certain numbers, like you, Nick. And yeah. and uh, not not too big on the other numbers, which is I mean it's fine. I I totally get it. Like I said, it's like you, you just got to know how to interact with 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 baseball guys. You know, they're all, they're not all going to be you know math guys, so you got to know how to communicate you know complex numbers and big data with them, and you just kind of know how to put it into into words that you know maybe a math guy you could go more technical with them, but a non-math guy, you kind of just have to break down and, and, and tell them the big picture. And I think that's, you know, all things coming down to balance. It's knowing who you're working with. And I feel like a lot of the coaching staffs that we see that are successful are ones where there's some sort of mix of like feel guys who just know ball and guys who know the data and are interested in it because we've seen it go wrong when it's just, you know, a baseball guy, a collection of them, and they're just trying to power through without any of the, the, modern comforts of data but then there's also the other side where i know personally as a phillies fan i've got the scars of that gabe kapler tenure where 
just watching lineups get set via laptop and just going crazy every day. So I think that balance seems to be good, which I mean, especially if Dan seemed to be sort of a little more far from using the data on everything, but the way that, you know, we know that the rest of the coaching staff would interact with it and that you would, that's pretty fascinating to see that that would be sort of the team collected there. Um, Beyond that, uh, do you have anything else, Nick? Because I, I had a couple others. Like we, I mentioned that I'd love to talk to you about maybe a couple of Frontier League guys that stand out and things like that. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole before no, we wrap go, up. Go down the rabbit hole. No, I, Let's I've do it. Why the same not? Question. Yeah, go down the rabbit hole. And they never saw him again. I mean, you mentioned already there's certain guys where you're like, oh, maybe those numbers don't look good, but like, he's pitching there and you know, when he's on the road, this play is a lot better. And the way the contact looks against him, were there some like low key under the radar type of guys who maybe their numbers at face value don't scream at anybody, but you think that, you know, maybe with a different opportunity or just a little more time, they're going to be maybe a guy in either the frontier league or beyond that. Yeah. I definitely want to shout out. I don't know if he's under the radar. Well, I guess he kind of is. He didn't make the all-star team. Uh, Matthew Workington. He was a Joe Slammer, uh, just absolutely mashed at first base for us. And like I would say, he'd be probably one of the better, you know, defensive first basemen that I've seen. You know, I can't really remember him making an error. Uh, he was outstanding for us at first base. Uh, Joe Slammer, Cole Cook, who obviously he's not really under the radar, but just kind of unbelievable how he hasn't made, how he hasn't gone to affiliated ball yet. Um. Frank, I've kind of been getting into this guy on Twitter, just putting all my stuff out there, and you know he'll retweet it or respond. But Frank Moscatello on a oh yeah, yeah, yeah he's just absolutely nasty. Yeah. Uh, plus plus fastball, uh, outstanding stuff, and definitely want to shout out uh, Tyler Pred Johnson. He was Joliet's shortstop mm-hmm. this year, and just you know probably one of the best infielders that I've ever seen in person. Just, you know, the way he went about his business and just made some you know, unbelievable plays this year. And I've like, I've seen high reels of him and it's just, hey, he's fun to watch. Yeah, the, um, honestly, just rolling through, like, as these transactions come in, because I've been tracking all the transactions, there have been a couple guys where I'm like, I know him, but I feel like I didn't, you know, I try to give an update on the podcast, bring something to the table here. And, uh, there have been some guys where I was like, I don't really, they don't stand out in my head, but I'll check it. And I, I look at uh, the FL Savant page. I'm like, I, I, like some of these guys, it, it is that thing. And maybe you've seen this too, where there are some guys in this league where they're, they all have something like maybe it's one pitch. It's just nasty or like across the board, yeah. very good, several very good pitches. It just, you need one to maybe go over the top. But um, I find that I feel like more in the frontier league, even than any where they are, there's a lot of high potential guys. Maybe it's because the age is a bit younger. It's similar to the American association, but guys are less developed. So it's interesting to see where they are year to year, but um, it's interesting. Um, moving, I guess I'm so interested in like where this is going for you because you're so young, but you're so, I wish when I was your age, I was into the, when I was your age, I wish I was you know into this. Um, it was later in life when I was like, wait a minute. I don't hate math when it's baseball related. Maybe I should have noticed that. Um, So, well, one, you said it was pretty early on that you were kind of into this, right? I mean, it was early on. Like, it's been a few years now. Like, this is not, this was not year one of you being like, oh, okay. Um, But 
when it comes to, you know, ha have you learned a little bit more about where you're hoping to end up after this or even as soon as next year? Like, what does the short term, what's the long term hopefully look like for you, man? Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's always been my turn to be a, a GM of a, a major league team. A uh, huge White Sox fan, so being a GM of White Sox be a dream come true. You know, short term, I'd like to find a job in a major league front office uh, internship next year. Uh, like I said, I'm only a junior, so it would be an internship. And then upon graduation, like whatever whatever options are open, but I'm, I'm passionate about baseball, passionate about creating value for, for teams on and off the field. So wherever I, I land up, like, like I said, in Joliet, like I I want to work every day and I absolutely love doing it. I know it's what I, what I want to do, you know, not say when I grow up, but in the in the coming future, I know what I want to do and generate value for the team. What an analytics guy. What a data guy. Talking about on and off the yep. field value being created for the team. Just want to, you know, help help out the squad generating value. That is such a vibe. Right. Um right proud that you just said that i'm so happy okay um i'm one of the unhinged people who are like yeah man that's what it's all about um so was this i'm tra i'm losing track already because yeah. you've done so much in so little time was this one is this really your first year fully in this correct like, yeah correct any like big lessons that you were either surprised by or was just like definitely something that you're gonna take with you moving forward um, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've always been a hitter throughout high school and throughout college. And then we had a guy, like I said, Eric Benchwell, who's our director of baseball ops. And I, I just learned a whole lot about pitching and, uh, throughout all these projects, just learning, 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 creating the stuff plus models was huge. And just like, kind of just like learn how to work hard. You know, it's not always easy getting up. Get up early and getting to work for eight hours and you're not making any money but you know it just <laughs> yeah i mean it was an absolute blast I learned a whole lot um can't think of any lessons per se right now but just over my three months learned so much how to interact with coaches and players like you know i'm in the dugout every single game with all these like you know professional players and it's like learning how they interact not even just working with the data like as a college baseball player like how they handle themselves how they how they interact with each other just so much value like i said i can't i can't speak more highly of of what a good summer i had and you know, what a good experience i had in joliet nice man i like that too the uh just learn how to work hard it is a grind it is nothing sure like anything else out there until all of a sudden you're in the middle of it and you're like, Oh, I'm really tired. And you realize, yeah, three more months. Um, yeah. And, and even like, you know, I was only there for the home games. Obviously I'm doing some right. advanced scouting stuff uh, for, for guys on the road, but I didn't travel. Like if you're an everyday player, like I can't even imagine the amount of stress that puts in your body. And like, I guess like I wasn't making any money, but they're, they're not making any money either. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's really like I had it easy. So yeah. Power to them. Yeah, man, that is, again, it, there's nothing else quite like it. I know. Hey, I'm not serving the military or whatever, but 
maybe more bus rides. <laughs> so, uh, beyond that, I mean, Nick, do you have anything else that you want to ask? I got uh, one more nerd question, but I can hold off. No, no, go for your nerd question. Go for that. All right. This is the same thing I ask just about anybody working on the data side of things. Uh, what's your just vibe on a win probability added? Is it useful? Is it not? Do you use it at all? That's just, if the answer across the board just no, that is a valid answer. I am just curious and I ask it of everybody. Yeah, I think in the big leagues, uh, it's something I've used in projects. Uh, but now you mentioned that that was one of the things that I wanted to, to get to work on was when was win probability added. Um, and I just, just didn't get the chance to in the Frontier League. Um, I think it is useful uh, in a sense. But like all things, I, I think it's only useful if like given context. I, I think it is useful, but just having like the, the context to to not like overuse it or to put too much value into it. If that's the case, then I think yeah, it's great, but it's not it's not the uh, the end all be all stat in my opinion. Fair. No. Maybe I'll connect with you on the win probably out win probability added down the road because that's my next project also and it's daunting. Yeah. Um. Well, Nick, I think for now I can show some self control and then maybe yeah. we'll drag Jack back on at some point uh, in the future yeah. to check in and then we're just to let me just get out all of the things I can't talk about uh, when yeah. I'm on the show with you or, or maybe I'll just have to corral them onto my own channel, which is maybe the best option for both of us. <laughs> Why? Because when you start talking to me about analytics, it's just like I'm watching the plane soar over my head. Like he seems really. I see your eyes roll back. Yeah, no, and he, the best he, part, we're over a phone a, too. That's even more impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Oh right. no, I'm just like <laughs> he cares a lot about this. I can't take that from him. Oh, look at him go! Hey, we're know. gonna cut this out of the pod. <laughs> you think that's the case? Oh, yeah. So I guess Jack, if you have anything you want to plug, go right on ahead and plug it. Uh, promote anything you want to promote. Say anything you want to say. If we didn't get something you want to get to, I mean, now's the time to do that. So go right on ahead. Yeah, I guess I just say check out the website. Um, you know, work pretty hard on it. So, like I said, I wanted to make it for for a couple purposes. One of them was, you know, just to show what I could do um, for next summer when I'm looking for an internship. But uh, you know, you guys, any ball guys, are a passionate bunch. Um, so if they can get any value out of it. Um, fans, coaches, players. Um, then that's what I did. That's what I did. I made it for them. So um, that's about all I got. Yeah, I can't think of much else. So check out the website, or or yeah, shoot me the- shoot me a tweet if you're uh, interested in talking baseball. What's your handle yeah, so that way people know what it is? Yeah, there you uh, go. Jay Kelly underscore twelve fourteen. All right, there you go. You guys have it. Appreciate you coming on the show, Jack. Appreciate it. Yep. Of course. Thanks for having me. So once again, I want to thank Jeff for coming on the show. Appreciate him coming on to talk analytics, even if I don't understand it. I'm sure Ryan enjoyed the conversation, though, because he found another step where to talk uh, indie ball stats, too, which is like a unicorn to find. I was happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, that's all there is to it. Uh, A couple of quick plugs here. Q&A next week. Send questions in if you have them. I'll put up a post on both Twitter and on Instagram to have you respond to with questions if you want to make it nice and simple for you because we are at 17. I'd like to get to 25 because we're long-winded and 25 will probably be two hours long. 
So that's good. Um, IndieWall Pod on Twitter for that matter, and IndieWall Report for else for that. Uh, Ryan, like your stuff. Uh, Indie Ball Nation, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, keep an eye out because I'm dropping a quick little walkthrough of FL Savant's website with Jack uh, about, you know, how the website works and how to navigate it and what you can find there. And then uh, also be dropping right around slash just after the new year, um, dropping sort of the return of doing some videos on the YouTube channel and uh, doing some off-season content. So that should be fun. So keep an eye out. On that note, until next time, don't forget to play ball.